Let me pray for us before we look further at God's word together. Heavenly Father, please, uh, as we reflect on this passage of Scripture this morning, uh, take my words and apply them to our hearts and lives. And may your Spirit enable that wonderful work of your word in us and amongst us to encourage us on life's journey as Christian people, and particularly uh, in regards to sharing the good news of Jesus with the world. Amen. Outside the tumble-down shed on the edge of the steamy swamp, a few miles north of Calcutta sat a dejected Englishman. His name was William Carey. The year was 1794, and he was 32 years old. In the shed lay his eldest son of his five children, desperately ill with dysentery. Beside the boy lay his mother, not only ill but wandering in mind. She was bitterly reproaching Carey for having dragged them all from a placid English pastorate across dangerous seas to a land of disappointment and destitution. The Careys had been in India less than two months and everything had gone wrong. They had been plagued by sickness. Their money was running out. The sheer weight of Hinduism seemed to crush any hopes of a Christian church arising quickly. As Carey wiped the sweat off his spectacles, picked up his Bible, and turned the pages already spoiled by mildew, he wondered whether he had mistaken God's call. His mind wandered back over the previous years. He considered the opposition he had overcome even to get this far. Missionaries in the 1780s were almost an extinct race. And when Carey had attempted to enthuse his fellow Baptist ministers with his mission ideas, he was rebuffed with a crushing retort. They said, when God pleases to convert the heathen, he will do it without consulting you. Yet Carey was not put off. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God, Carey had proclaimed. And yet here he was, little more than a year later, sitting on the edge of an Indian marsh, almost a castaway. Sharing Jesus with the world can be dispiriting and daunting at times. Uh, Back in 46 AD, no doubt, Paul and Barnabas felt somewhat daunted by the enormity of the task that lay ahead of them. Uh, They were about to embark on the first organized Gentile mission into the Mediterranean basin. But what could two people achieve amidst such a vast sea of paganism? Now we're up to Acts chapter 13 in our series, and by now it's 13 years since Christ's death, resurrection, and ascension. And much has happened in that time. You recall the initial Jewish Christians fled persecution in Jerusalem, uh, proclaiming the gospel wherever they then went. And the radiating ripples of these itinerant evangelists has now reached the Gentile territories north of Israel, modern-day Lebanon and Syria. And through their gospel proclamation, the first Gentile church has been established at Antioch in modern-day Syria. And with the genesis of the Gentile church also comes the genesis of the Gentile mission. God has commissioned Saul and Barnabas to embark 
on a concerted mission to the Gentiles with the Antioch church as their home base. And so, in 46 AD, they depart on what will be a round trip of 2,000 kilometers and will take over two years. Now Luke, uh, the author of Acts, is being inevitably selective in the history that he records in his letter. Uh, There would have been other Christian missions to the south and to the east, but he doesn't include these. Instead, through the remainder of Acts, Luke tracks the spread of the gospel west and north uh, through Paul's three missionary journeys. And Luke wants to show the fulfillment of Christ's commission for the gospel to reach the ends of the earth. Uh, For Luke, that means the heart of the then-known world, Rome, which is where, of course, Paul finally heads. So today, you see, we come to Paul's first missionary journey. It's the shortest of the three uh, in distance and in time. And Luke's concern is to show that the spread of the gospel is unstoppable in spite of the daunting enormity of the task and the opposition. You see, Luke doesn't shy from painting the harsh reality of mission. Uh, Repeatedly, opposition does arise in response to the proclamation of the gospel. But still, people come to faith in Christ. And still, God's kingdom grows. Uh, For us Christians today, this helps us in our mission, in our evangelism. For even though Paul and Barnabas were full-time missionaries, every person who trusts in Christ is, of course, a missionary in our families, in our clubs, in our places of work, in our classrooms, in our lecture theatres. And if we trust in Christ, we are each called to share Jesus, to share Jesus with the world. So let me give you a brief roadmap of where we'll be going this morning. Uh, Firstly, we're going to journey again with Paul and Barnabas on their steps in that first journey. We're going to look at the main events that Luke records. It's worth looking out as we do that for the the incredible versatility of the Apostle Paul as an evangelist. He's amazing at adapting the gospel to his hearers. Uh, Look out for it. We're going to see him speaking to uh, individuals and crowds, to Jews and Gentiles, uh, the religious, but also the irreligious, uh, the educated, but also the uneducated, the friendly and the hostile. So having journeyed with Paul and Barnabas, uh, we will then reflect on some lessons in evangelism that come out of this for us today as Christians. And in particular, we're going to pick up on two realities in evangelism and two encouragements in evangelism. So, uh, let's re-embark with Paul and Barnabas on their incredible journey. Should have a map on the screen. Aha, here we go. Right. So, uh, the first port of call is Barnabas' home territory, uh, the island of Cyprus. Uh, They catch a boat from Seleucia to Salamis. Uh, They start a preaching tour which commences on the east coast and ends up on the west coast in the provincial capital, Paphos, on the west coast. 
Now, in Paphos, uh, the Roman governor wants to hear what they have to say. Uh, However, his advisor, a sorcerer named Bar-Jesus, seeks to poison the mind of the governor against them. Saul, who is now addressed by his Greek name Paul, goes head to head. Chapter 13, verse 10. You are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. Uh, Wouldn't we all at times like to be that direct with some people? The sorcerer, amazingly, is silenced through blindness at Paul's command. However, the governor is granted spiritual sight and comes to faith through Paul's message. And another Gentile enters the kingdom of God. Uh, Back to the map again. Uh, From there, they cross from Barnabas' native island to the south coast of Paul's native land, Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. So they track over here to Perga, but they don't hang around there. Instead, they climb the steep, treacherous route up to Antioch, up to the Galatian Plateau. It was actually uh, one kilometer above sea level, so it was quite a steep climb. But the road wasn't just steep. It was also very dangerous. It was notorious for robbers and bandits, and yet off they go. And their goal is the city of Pisidian Antioch. Uh, This was the Roman governing and military center for the province of South Galatia. Uh, They go to the synagogue, and they're invited to address the congregation. Now, Paul, at this point, is speaking to an educated, religious, mostly Jewish, although there are some God-fearing Gentiles present. And what does he do? He gives them a Bible exposition. Uh, Using a brief Bible overview, he proves to them from their scriptures, Jesus is indeed the promised Messiah. What happens? Uh, Some respond in faith. Others want to hear more. And the next Sabbath, a huge number of people gather to hear them again. However, when the Jews see the crowds, they are jealous of their popularity and they stir up trouble for Paul and Barnabas. Uh, The question uh, which hangs in the air at this point is, why are Paul and Barnabas bothering with the Jews at all? Uh, Haven't they been sent on a mission to the Gentiles? And their response to the Jews at this point provides the answer. Chapter 13, verse 46. We had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. For this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. See their mission strategy? It's shaped by two factors. Firstly, uh, it's what God has ordained. Uh, As Paul later outlines in his letter to the Romans, the gospel goes first to the Jews and then to the Gentiles. Uh, But secondly, hey, the synagogues contain both Jews and Gentile God-fearers and they are fertile grounds for mission. And so they're a great place for Paul and Barnabas to start. And now, as you can imagine, uh, this doesn't go down very well with the Jews, but the Gentiles are delighted, and some of them come to faith in Christ. Uh, sadly, the Jews continue to make trouble for Paul and Barnabas, and so 
they enact the protocol given by Jesus to his disciples many years earlier. Do you remember back in Luke chapter 9, verse 5? Jesus said this, If people do not welcome you, shake the dust off your feet when you leave their town as a testimony against them. And that is what they do. So back to our map. Uh, Having left Pisidian Antioch, they now move on to Iconium and apply the same strategy there. And they get the same response. Uh, Many Jews and Gentiles are united in faith, whilst others are united in opposition. When Paul and Barnabas discover a plot to stone them, they flee now to the neighboring city of Lystra. Now, like Peter had done back in Jerusalem years earlier, Paul now heals a crippled man and he gains for himself an audience. Now, the people of Lystra, they are superstitious pagans. And they put two and two together and they get a pagan five. They conclude that Paul and Barnabas are two of their gods in human form. So also like Peter, Paul has to convince the people that this miracle is not done in their own power, but God's power through them. Did you notice how different Paul's message is to those superstitious, illiterate, agrarian pagans? When Mary read it, it was startling, wasn't it? There's no mention in his address to them of the Bible. There's no quoting of Scripture, unlike to the Jews back in Pisidian Antioch. Uh, Paul still calls them to turn back to the living God, but he appeals to their understanding of creation. He speaks of God as the creator of everything they see around them. He speaks of God as the sustainer of their agriculturally dependent lives. It's interesting, this is the only record we have of Paul's preaching to pagan peasants, and yet it's preserved for us in that chapter. Uh, Now, I don't want to spend much time on this, but it's worth pulling into the lay-by just for a moment, because this reminds us of something very fundamental to evangelism. The effective sharing of our faith involves being perceptive and adaptive. Uh, In other words, Effective communication of the gospel is nuanced. It's adapted to the hearer's situation. So in evangelism, there is the constant need to ask questions. Uh, Where is this person who I'm hoping to share Jesus with, where are they at? Uh, What is their cultural and religious background? How does the gospel speak to the deepest longings of their hearts? How can I better understand their worldview? How can I build bridges with them so as to enter something of their world? And those are important questions for us always to be bearing in mind as we seek to share the great news of Jesus with people today. So back to the superstitious pagans at Lystra and how fickle their allegiance is. Like the crowd in Jerusalem that one day welcomed Jesus as their king on a donkey and then the next day cried out for his blood, so also this crowd are turned. Uh, The Jews from Antioch and Iconium catch up with them and they incite the crowd to stone Paul and Barnabas. And this time there is no escape, but there is miraculous protection. In spite of the people's most violent efforts, Paul survives the stoning. 
So back to the map again. And on he goes, finally, to the city of Derby. And courageously, he continues to preach the gospel here also. And many people here come to faith in Christ. With no less courage, uh, Paul and Barnabas now retrace their steps. Uh, they're consolidating on their work thus far. Uh, they return to Lystra, Iconium, and to Antioch to strengthen the new believers and to appoint leaders in each church. And no doubt, their scars which they bore now on their bodies underwrote their exhortations to these believers to persevere. Chapter 14, verse 22. They said to them, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. And so, as they make their way back to the coast, they proclaim the gospel wherever they go. And once finished, they sail back and report back to their sending church in Syrian Antioch. And in their wake, they have left a string of fledgling Christian churches. And the word of the Lord is continuing to spread and to bear new life. What an incredible missionary journey. What an incredible advance of the gospel, in spite of how daunting it would have been and in spite of the opposition they faced. And what incredible fortitude and courage they had. So we've retraced uh, the ups and downs of Paul's first missionary journey. Let's now reflect on some of its lessons in evangelism for us today. And in particular, uh, we're going to identify two realities in evangelism and two encouragements in evangelism. So firstly, uh, two realities in evangelism. It is important to have realistic expectations about sharing our faith with others. False expectations can be incredibly destructive to us spiritually. You see, if our experience doesn't match up with our belief, we can become discouraged and silenced. And therefore, there are two realities in evangelism that are evident from Paul's experience and which we always need to keep sight of. And the first of them is hardship. It's worth every Christian asking this question. Do I have false expectations of ease in my evangelism? Or to put it another way, are we only going to share our faith if it's easy to do so? Paul's first missionary journey leaves us in no doubt. Sharing the gospel can at times be hard yakka. Uh, some years later, Paul shares with the Corinthian believers his experience of their, his first mission, of his missionary journeys. Uh, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 26. He says there, I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. You get the point? I think mission can at times be dangerous. And therefore, sharing our faith can at times be hard. And if we expect evangelism without hardship, we're setting ourselves up for discouragement and ultimately for silence. 
The question is, have we really taken on board Paul's experience and his words when in Acts 14, 22, he says, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. So, uh, the first reality in evangelism is hardship. Uh, The second is indifference. The question then is, do I have false expectations of response to my evangelism? Or again, to put it another way, if people don't respond positively to my message, will I get discouraged and will I cease sharing my faith? Uh, In Paul's case, many did reject his message. And that is an inevitable part of mission, of evangelism. But before it all becomes too bleak for us, there are also two wonderful encouragements which we see here in evangelism. Firstly, although many do reject Paul's message, some accept it. By the time that he had finished his first missionary journey, there were churches in each of the cities where Paul and Barnabas had ministered. So you see, the gospel will always be opposed, but the gospel will always advance. And the second encouragement is this. Mission is not just a human activity. It's also a divine activity. It's also God's work. Because firstly, God chooses who are to be his. Uh, It's interesting that uh, Luke's narrative explanation of the Gentile conversion in Pisidian Antioch points to the divine hand at work. Look again at chapter 13, verse 48. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and they honored the word of the Lord. And all who were appointed for eternal life believed. All who were appointed by God himself, they believed. So you see, we don't just engage in evangelism on our own. We have a powerful co-worker working with us, God himself. And he works with us and he works through us. Now Paul and Barnabas knew this and they said so in their report back to their sending church at chapter 14 verse 28 again. On arriving back there they gathered the church together and they reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. There it is. It is God who works through us. And it is God who opens the door of faith in people's lives. That anyone comes to faith in Christ, it's a work of God. And therefore, we work with him in that wonderful calling. And so God calls us to keep going, to persevere in mission, to keep holding out the good news of Jesus to people. But how do we do it? We do it perceptively, Engaging where people are at, and we do it adaptively. And God works through us, and as we do so, he grows his kingdom, and he saves many souls from a lost eternity. We will face opposition and indifference, but ultimately the gospel will prevail. And that encourages us to keep going, to keep holding out the good news of Jesus to those whom God has placed in our spheres of life. And God will ultimately work through us and he will perform that work in his time. 
for William Carey, his break came when he secured the post of plantation manager in an indigo plantation. Uh, Carey became a well-paid planter with a pleasant home and unrivaled opportunity for getting to know the language, the people, and their customs as he traveled far and wide buying the indigo crop. Uh, He lived simply, and he put the bulk of his income into the translation of the scriptures. And he invested his considerable spare time into preaching or translating the scriptures. Yet even Carey's ministry wasn't all plain sailing thereafter. It still had its discouragements. His preaching made no discernible impact on the entrenched hold of Hinduism. All but two of Carey's handful of converts proved to be either frauds or backsliders. Carey himself survived an attack of malaria, but his little boy Peter didn't. And his wife's mental health fluctuated. And sometimes she would rail against him for weeks with bitterness and with venom. After several years, God provided four other missionaries and their families to join Carey out there in India. And one of them, William Ward, was a printer. And his ambition was to print among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. And over the next 30 years, this team worked tirelessly together, spearheading the Christian work in India. And by the time of his death, Carey had translated the Bible into five Indian languages and parts of it into nearly 30 more. And as people came to faith in Christ, they spread out over the length and the breadth of India, taking the translated Bibles with them. And Carey then became the father of modern missionaries, whose translations of the scriptures would pioneer missionary work in India for generations to come. And his name became known and honored from the southern tip of India to the very north of the Himalayas. Carey kept going, and God in his time, in spite of opposition and hardship, did his wonderful work through Carey and his fellow missionaries. And if we trust in Christ, may the Lord encourage us not to be daunted by the task, but to keep sharing the good news of Jesus with all those he brings across our path. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you that the work of sharing the good news of Jesus with the world is not ours alone. Uh, We go forth not alone. Uh, You go with us. And you work ahead of us, preparing people, preparing their hearts, and ultimately opening the door of their hearts to faith in Christ. Therefore, we pray that we would each be encouraged in our own spheres of life to keep sharing the good news of Jesus, to be perceptive and adaptive in how we do that, but for you also to work through us to your glory. And we ask this all in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.